I don't think people were concerned about the fact that he shot tigers to put them down. I think they were more concerned about the fact that did you put them down to just make space for more that were more that were more valuable to you? Hello and welcome to another episode of Tots. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. This episode is going to be part two of my interview with Saf from Tiger King. I really hope you guys enjoyed part one. If you are here and you have not listened to part one, make sure you go check that out before hearing this. Now, in part one, Saf talked about a lot of things, including losing his arm and what it was actually like to work with Joe Exotic. In this part of the interview, Saf is going to talk about some of the minor details that you might have seen in the show that actually turn out to be pretty major stuff. He is also going to talk about if he has had contact with Joe since Joe has gone to prison and what that's looked like. So I really hope that you enjoy this interview, part two. Let's get into it. So Joe was also charged with this whole murder for hire plot. And I don't want to get too deep into it because it's super complicated with all of these different players. And I I mean, I don't even know how I would have approached like trying to get all this information into the show. I think they did a decent job. But what do you think about the murder for hire in terms of Carol Baskin? Do you actually think that Joe set out to do this? And and what was your reaction to him getting that charge? Yeah, no. um, I can tell you right now, I know that Joe wanted her dead. Life would have been so much better for Joe if she wasn't in it. Um. But do I think he did anything that would have led to her actually being dead? No. He's too chicken. I know Joe. He has, He doesn't have the balls. <laughs> you know? Um, but Joe's, Joe's also one to play into hype men. So, you know, if, if anyone was encouraging him, like, man, you, you got this. It's so simple. Yeah, I can see him being dumb enough to fall. Yes. But as far as just going out and saying, this is what's happening and I'm doing it like this, no way. I've seen that man run from a skunk. No. No, he doesn't have (laughs) it. Which is so funny to me because for someone who works with very large and very dangerous animals, for, for you to, like, tell me that he has no balls, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just like, his, his portrayal was so interesting. And someone else, I think Rick Kirkham during the show says the same thing that you just said, that, oh, he's got no balls. He's, he's, a, he's a pansy. Let me, let me, uh, me kind of clarify that for you. He was scared every second he was in the, cat, the cage with these cats, with these bigger animals, these, especially the dangerous ones. Um, he was scared every second of it, you know, but it does show his character when he gets in there with him. You know, but it doesn't change the fact that he was scared. <laughs> he was scared every day. Yeah. So for me, it's it's you know, I've, I've worked with some some pretty big animals, uh, but mainly like, you know, in the reptile space. So not really, you know, animals like uh, big cats. But for me, the first thing that I was taught um, before handling like a massive animal like a, you know, like a 15 foot snake was you cannot be afraid. Because uh, at least for reptiles, a lot of reptiles like snakes, they have the Jacobson's organ, which brings in um, basically the chemicals. And if you're releasing all of these chemicals into the air that you're scared, they know that you're scared, they get scared. And then that's when an issue occurs. 
how did Joe not die every time he got into the cage with all of these big cats if he's being so scared with all of them? So a, a, a big cat in its natural environment who's never had contact with a human, Joe would be the first one to die, you know, um, because of that. These are captive bred, captive, you know, raised animals. They literally grew up in our living rooms, drinking out of baby bottles that we fed them. You know, I'm not saying that it changes them as a dynamic, but it definitely changes their mentality. You're the guy who feeds me. You're the guy who makes sure that I'm getting everything that I need, that I know I need. Um, and, and it doesn't take away their natural predatory instincts because if they see something run, they will chase it no matter what, no matter where they were raised. Um, but it's just that dynamic now, that mentality that they have. So it's not that we domesticated these animals, but we have um, got them used to just that that interaction, that contact with humans, you know, because it's not something they're born with um, unless they're born in captivity. So. that's the only reason that's the only reason but you know that's what those entire kind of theory on these on this topic on that topic um for interacting with these animals every day for pulling cubs from their mom so that we can raise them you know what i mean that was his theory they make for less dangerous animals and therefore makes for a better captive animal, a better display animal, because they almost crave that human interaction because that's all they know. Right. It's been the love that they know. Um, and that was, you know, you you reinforce that with working with your own animals and then showing people, look at what I have, look at what I can do. And you can't because, or, or now you can enjoy it at least, you know, because mm-hmm. I put in the because I do what I do. I pull them. I interact with them. So if that's the case, and both Joe and Carol were like, look what I basically have because I have these tigers and look what I've been able to do, why did they never get along? Because she stands for everything that is not that. She wants that entire part of the animal, especially with the cats. No interacting with your cats, you know, no. So that's why they butt heads so much. When, when in reality, they were trying to do the same thing. Just what's best for these cats on top of making money, you know? I right. Mean, There's not, always the money. None them, right. None of them were saints, man. And and I think that that will, will drop you back down to why... Why are these people even considering working for people like Joe or Carol or with them or whatever the case is if there's no money involved? Because it's not about the money, you know? We weren't there for the money. If we were, then it wouldn't be worth it, I promise you. The animals, man, the, the what they give to you, that's that's what you're there for. So. Yeah, I totally get that. So there was a moment uh, that was that was on the show where I can't even remember what Joe was doing, but he was in a cage. I believe he was with um, a couple of ligers, and he starts going off about this experience, and he was bitten on the foot, and he was drug around to the point where he pulled out his revolver to, to scare the cats off. So that left a lot of people wondering because there was this theory that someone put something on his shoes or something like that. And then they even had like Carol Baskin's take on like what happened. 
what what the hell happened there? You know, and like I said, these are the types of things that happens all the time when you work with these. They're also any of these big cats. They are attack predators. They're pounce predators. So they sneak attack. None of their prey are looking them in the eye when they attack them. You know, um, so I think you know, and of course playfulness. Whenever you roughhouse with these cubs, they take that to their adulthood, to their bigger stages of life, and they think that that's normalcy. You know. Um, so every behavior that you get that's kind of on the negative side is a reflection of what you did to them because you're playing off of their natural instinct to stalk, to pounce, to treat you as prey, you know, because they don't know what we are. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it. Whether or not something was on a shoe, I couldn't tell you, but that's not the only time any employee or any person's been dragged by a big cat. That's not the first time, you know, we work with these 400 pound animals, one swat of their paw and we're flipping head over heels. You know, that's just how this this industry is. And I lived for that stuff. I lived for it, you know. So, I mean, I see that and it's like, that's just life. And I know other people see it and they're like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. So, I, <laughs> I mean, it's just respect. Um, like I said, man, when when they're in your house, they see your shoes all the time. You know, it's your it's your responsibility to make sure they don't think it's a toy because you wear shoes, you know, and you're walking on these things. Yep. And things like that happen all the time. So, yeah, it's it's just to me, it's interesting to hear people say stuff like that because people could lose their lives with these animals. And that's something we as the handlers know. Um but when things like that are aired, when people are able to see the power, just the power behind these animals, um, it definitely highlights a lot of things too. So I personally am glad people got to see it because I believe in a healthy a healthy fear and a healthy respect. Um, but it's just, it's interesting, you know, to hear the responses to things. Like I said, Carol's immediate reaction is, oh, just a bit of sardine oil. <laughs> like that's insane because <laughs> I don't, ever go through my day figuring out ways to attract animals to me you know i'm consumed right. in them anyway it's funny it was just funny to me yeah i i thought it was so weird and and then someone was saying uh i think joe said someone put cologne on my shoes and then i don't know why they included it probably because it was so weird but then carol was like oh no they just want to drool on cologne it's like how do you know that like that's such a weird thing to know it's kind of true um it's and they're all saying the same thing that i'm saying the cats are just attracted to it any yeah. new scent um they have these glands that's all along the front of their face you know and any new scent they want to put it in their memory bank so what they'll do is they'll rub all over you just rub and rub and rub they do it to anything really not just you not just people if a tree smells like another cat they're gonna rub and rub and rub you know what i mean to get mm -hmm. that scent in their memory bank um and, and that, like I said, that with playfulness, with shoot, that cat could have just been in a, in a mood that day. You never know. You know, they can't talk to you. They can't tell you. Right. Him being dragged halfway across that arena told me one thing, and that's he shouldn't have been in there. <laughs> I mean, you got to read your cats. Same, same with I, I should have been able to read that cat as far as should I stick my hand in this cage or not, you know? It's just we make mistakes, and unfortunately, some of our consequences are a lot are on a larger scale than others. Um, 
it's yeah. just something we have to live with you know every career choice has its risk you know and it's it's your dedication that pushes you to hey is it worth the risk or is it not and for me for joe for everyone else involved obviously it's worth the risk you know we did it for a living it was a yeah. lifestyle man now you know it's not a clock in clock out job i took my injury home <laughs> so i took my mistake home you know yeah yeah i totally get that uh so switching uh switching themes just a little bit here so Fast forward to where we are now, and uh, Jeff and Lauren Lowe have taken over. Uh, taken over. They're they're running. We'll, we'll just say that that's a very PC thing to say, right? They they're running the uh, the the park, um, and they're planning on building a new one. I want to know what your opinions on them are, and and your opinions on kind of like them taking over or or how that whole situation came about i think it, a lot of this is pride a lot of it is it's just kind of pride and greed um joe invested 20 plus years in that zoo in the uh in the breeding program in the specimens that's there today you know he was the reason that any of that exists period him and his parents um, in, mem- in memory of his brother. So it was not just something he did, but it was a, you know, a, a family passion thing. Um, and then Jeff came in as a businessman, as an investor, um, to kind of pull Joe out of whatever, you know, debt hole he was in at the time. Um, and that ultimately led to him owning the zoo or the, the foundation that owns the zoo. Um, and a lot of that was in the, in the documentary was explained, you know, the, Joe wanted to get everything out of his name. So he had nothing to lose to Carol. That's exactly what happened there. Right. Right. Um, so Jeff owned the zoo way before any of this nonsense went down. I think he owned really it for at least two to three years. I think I couldn't be sure, but I'm pretty sure it was about two to three years before any of the nonsense went down. Um, as far as mine and Jeff and Lauren's relationship, man, they've always been cordial. They've, they've always been formal. I knew Joe, uh, Jeff as the investor, and that's how our relationship remained. He's never been um, malicious to me in any way. He's never been, you know, a bad guy or anything like that. I, I don't agree with his lifestyle, you know, but who am I to judge, you know? I saw him sure. when I was at work, and, and that was like in passing, um, because none of our jobs ever intermingled. Jeff didn't interact with the animals. He didn't work the cages. Um, I did. Um, so we never crossed paths much or often. It was mainly in the mornings when I showed up to work and at night when I was leaving, you know? Um, so that's kind of where our relationship stays. You know, I don't have any animosity towards anyone. Um, I just disconnected when I left in 2018 and never looked back. So, yeah. Yeah. And then something else that that happened during the show that was really impactful and seemed to really impact, uh, especially the staff was, um, the, the incident is what I'll, I guess I'll call it with, uh, the firearm. Um, what, uh, what Travis. all went on? Yeah. What all went on after, um, you know, the Travis incident and, um, kind of what, what did you think about it? Because to me, and I was talking to somebody yesterday, it, it was very much like the show was leading us down this path of 
he's depressed, he's doing a lot of drugs, and then this happens as if to suggest that it was a suicide. What was your take on everything that happened? Yeah, I knew Travis personally. I knew him from the day he stepped foot on that park to the to the day he left. Um, he was the greatest guy, man. He was he was a kid when I met him. You know, he was barely eighteen years old, um, and he just he was from California. He just had this joy for life that was just it was too much for me, man. He was so loud and he was so happy all the time. Um, but that was the best part. That was his his most endearing asset is that he he made me smile even when I felt like I never wanted to smile again you know he was just the best guy um but there's no doubt man there's no doubt in my mind that he was not happy there's no doubt in my mind that he at times were depressed um I know he did drugs you know but he didn't work for the zoo so it didn't matter you know Mm -hmm. um but then I I seen I seen him and Joe together you know, and he still went home to this guy every night. I never asked that man about his relationship. I just would hang out with him. I'd spend time with him. Um, so yeah, the answer to all those questions: Was he depressed? Was he doing drugs? Yes. Was he happy? Was did he love Joe? Yes. You know. Um, but I also know that he's not a cop out. Travis isn't a cop out, man. And there's absolutely no way that that would have been the end of his life in a gift shop at a zoo you know what i mean there's no way yeah there's no way he had a he had a desire for life like no other and he made the best of everything man he made the best of everything you know so no way it was it was an unfortunate incident it sucked it still shatters my world man to know that that boy is no longer here um but i i know that that's exactly what it was just an unfortunate incident yeah. Yeah. I mean, what what a touching tribute to him. Um, and really, I think the show captures a little bit of of his uh, his enthusiasm for life and living it. But um, clearly not as well, not as well as you have uh, in in much less time. So so I think that's fantastic. All right. We're going to take a quick break from our interview with Saf. But when we get back, I ask Saf about his contact with Joe Exotic while he's been in jail. We're going to find out if he's been talking to him or not, what they've been talking about, all of that after the break. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. If you loved watching Tiger King and seeing all the crazy places tigers are kept in captivity around the United States, the sponsor for this week, Juanita's Adventures, has maps for you. For a limited time, you can get 15% off maps from places all over the United States that were actually shown in Tiger King. So we start off with Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where Doc Antail has his safari and many wives. Then we move on over to Tampa, Florida, where Carol Baskin operates Big Cat Rescue and is a spokesperson for a local septic tank company. Then we're going to go over to Norman, Oklahoma, which is right outside Winniewood, where Joe used to run the GW Zoo and wear tasseled shirts like it was his purpose in life. If you want to get 15% off of these beautiful map prints, just go to www.juanitas.etsy.com and use code SAFRULES. That is S-A-F-F-R-U-L-E-S, all capitals. Use that at checkout and you'll be good to go. Big thanks to Juanitas Adventures and Studio 15 Artisans for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's get back to my interview with SAF. 
I want to know, like, have you had contact with Joe since he's been in jail? And if you haven't, what would you say to him right now? I have not spoke to him since I left the zoo. I spoke to him one time when he was in jail um, to notify him that I went and saw his mom because I knew his parents personally, you know? Yeah. Um, but what I would say to him if I do speak to him again, like I said, I, I have no intentions of reaching out. Um, and I don't know if he even has any intentions of reaching out to me. Um, I just know that, you know, for 10 years, I worked side by side with that man um, in the animal care and husbandry industry. He's taught me a lot. Um, he showed me what to do just as much as he showed me what not. The thing that I have to say to him is, you know, just just keep your, just keep your head up, man. I mean, that's the best that you can do for yourself in a situation like this. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was left out of the show? that made you frustrated like what if you were to do the show what would you have put in there that they didn't put in there the day-to-day -day kind of uh, aspect of the animal care the the amount that we as just the caretakers sacrifice not just what joe sacrificed as the the person in charge of the responsibilities as far as finances and resources and protocols and keeping in contact with usda and osha and keeping up to code with everything getting licenses that we that has nothing to do with animal care that just has everything to do with you being able to take care of animals for a living yeah um, so I wish they would have just showed a little bit more of what we did as the caretakers because it would have explained a lot of why we did what we did as caretakers. Um, a lot of people looked at Eric and, you know, I mean, he was obviously plastered in, in every interview he did on that docuseries. Yeah. Um, but I know Eric. I've seen Eric with those animals and he, he gave his he gave his heart and soul to those animals, you know. Um, and I wish that would have been highlighted a little bit more, more than just a few photos of us interacting with these animals, because that's just snapshots of, of what we did. That's just snapshots of what we got to experience. Um, and and I, I just wish they would have kind of, they filmed for years, you know? I was there as they filmed for years, day in, day out. Um, and, and not much of it made it to the documentary, which I understand they, they had, an agenda with that documentary you know they they wanted to push one thing forward more than anything else so i understand that and what is that one thing i think they were just focused on joe you know joe's like i said joe is a living breathing story i get it you know when i shook his hand for the very first time i knew i was meeting a man i'll never meet again you know um so <laughs> In that sense, I understand why he was the driving point. He was this, the focal point. But at the end of the day, you know, he was, to me, he was just a cosmetic and aesthetic part of the animal industry. He was just the sidelines, man. These animals are at the heart and soul of this entire industry. Without them, it'd be just a bunch of guys in shiny shirts yelling at each other. That's it. Yeah. You know, so... I wish they would have just showed a little bit more of that, you know, highlighted, you know, the day in and day out of a caretaker. Um, because that, I mean, they highlighted the the living of the caretaker. They highlighted the pay of the caretaker. They highlighted the sacrifices, but they never once showed the reasons why. 
and that's the animals. That's all yeah. that ever mattered. So, yeah, I wish I that. Love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, you know, you're making me wish that that was included too. I, I feel like that would have given a lot more context to what we saw going on. And and part of what was going on um, that I, I just remembered I wanted to ask you about is those meat trucks. So I think a lot of people saw that and got really creeped out because first of all, they're like, well, how is that good for a tiger? And then they're like, well, hold on. They're not really paying these guys. And so they're also eating off the truck. And then there was the rumor that the meat was being used in the pizza shop. And I I think Joe's explanation was actually pretty decent. He said, if somebody goes up to the counter with some sort of meat and they go to pay for it and they can't, they have to throw that out. It gets wasted. So to me, it was like, not not as bad. Because to me, I was like, oh yeah, like it totally could have been that. What... What is the truth behind those meat trucks and in terms of feeding the tigers and feeding you guys and then potentially feeding visitors to uh, the park? <laughs> yeah, um, so those meat trucks came from grocery stores, a chain of grocery stores, and they were called unrestockable items. And it ranged from produce to meat to like, you know, salads or like boxes of chips and anything like that. Uh, um, obviously, we only got the things because we registered with this program, this meat truck program. We registered as a, a nonprofit organization that, you know, and it's for, to feed the animals. Um, so they only gave us the things that would be able to feed animals, you know, and that consisted of raw meat. Um, some smoked meats like hams, you know, stuff from the deli and then, um, produce. so we got a truckload of that twice a week. Okay. Sometimes the stuff has been sitting there for five minutes because it's been off the shelf for five minutes. Sometimes right. it's been sitting there since last time we showed up. So, oh no, <laughs> oh, we got a range of things, man. We got a range of things and some things were good enough to feed the president and some things yeah. I wouldn't even throw it in my dumpster. You know what I mean? It was just nasty. <laughs> we spent hours on, on meat truck days. And th again, these are things that they just kind of skimmed over. Mm -hmm. But we spent hours on meat truck days. Any employee can tell you this. Hours. And this is after a full day's worth of feeding, cleaning, and, and watering an entire zoo of animals. We had to then put on new gloves and new boots and spend hours in this meat truck separating all of this all of this food. We separated the produce and put it where the produce belonged. We separated the raw meat from the smoked meat, from the deli meat. Um, because some, you know, some animals like the bears, they can eat the smoked or the cooked meat, whereas tigers only eat raw meat, you know? Right. Um, so it's just it's stuff like that, man, you know, that wasn't highlighted and wasn't shown but we know the intricacies and the ins, ins and outs of it. And I mean, when I spend hours elbow deep in a meat barrel, because I want to make sure that the cats are only getting what is best. I'm not going to let anyone sit there and tell me that that's not the case. That's yeah. all it is. You know? That's all it is. So. Yeah, absolutely. And again, another thing that they just happened to skim over, all they showed, I think, uh, in the show was, you know, like bunch of meat juices dripping everywhere and like you guys wading through all the meat. But 
not showing you guys, you know, like reading things and, and trying to figure out like what's good to feed them and what's going to be still okay to eat. Yeah, and, and we separated amongst 1,200 different types of animals, you know, raccoons, primates, tigers, big cats to lesser cats. I mean, all their diets are different, you know, yeah. and that's not... You don't just go around dumping these barrels into cages, you know. Every single animal on that park had its own has it had its own bag, you know, with yeah. its own specific diet. I'm telling you, the amount of work that's put into just one day's worth of tending to these animals is probably more than most people see in a lifetime. Yeah, in a I'm lifetime. sure. I'm not just talking physically, I'm talking mentally too, because if you do give the wrong type of food to an animal, it could be their life in danger. Could make it sick and kill it, yeah. You're right, you know, and it's not a mistake that you just are openly freely making. So yeah. you're constantly thinking, you're constantly moving. It's it's It was a beautiful thing for me, but know that it was hard work and I hate that it was skimmed over, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I would too. I would too. Wouldn't bother me if they hadn't said anything. But you know, you want you want to sit there and say that we're feeding rotten meat to these animals, not like, on my watch, but so. Yeah, you care too much. You care too much. I agree. Um, as far as Joe putting down animals, that was a really big part of of the show, and and they kind of did it as like a big like not like a gotcha, but kind of as a, as, as a big moment in the show and a defining moment. For me, the way that I looked at it, I have friends that, that have farms and that work on farms and things like that. And so, like, I talked to them about it, and they're like, if you have an animal that needs to be put down, you put down the animal, and you can do it by spending thousands of dollars to get the right medications, and then you have to make sure you get the right amounts of all of the different medications, and then you have to get it in the right spot, and if it goes wrong, it could lead to pain and things like that, or you could shoot it. And so for me, it wasn't as like drastic to, to see something like that, and then they also said that you know they dug up some of the bodies and I, I, that to me also was not super drastic. I'm like, if you have an animal like that that dies, I know for a fact that there are certain laws and rules around, um, you know, keeping parts of that animal because of the wildlife trade and, and smuggling. So for you, what was your reaction to how that was portrayed and, and also to Joe's actions in putting down those tigers? Was it only done out of necessity or was it done because he needed to make space. Yeah, you know, uh, from the beginning, from the beginning, I knew that there was more going on on the park that I was aware of. Um, and then of course, the longer I worked there, the more I became a part of those things. Um, and of course, anytime we have to put down an animal, it's, a, it's, it's not a good day. But the more and more you start to realize that you're you're putting down these animals and then literally filling their cages up again, you start to realize there's a problem, you know, um, or there's definitely no progression going on. You're just they're just numbers now. They're just things in a cage now, and that's that. That wasn't my style, um, which is what led to me leaving. 
you know, I felt like I was more a part of the problem than I was a part of the solution, man. And that's not what I'm in this for. I already know I'm never going to be able to give them back what they've given me, but I'm not going to take from them either. So once I realized that I, there's not much more that I could do, not at that zoo and not in the situation I was in, I, I just cut off and I left. Um, you're right. You know, there, there's only one way to, to make having to put down an animal the most seamless, most painless. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, I think, I think it had a lot to do with just the intentions of it and less of how he did it. I don't think people were concerned about the fact that he shot tigers to put them down. I think they were more concerned about the fact that did you put them down to just make space for more that were more that were more valuable to you, you know? And right. that is only a question that Joe can answer. And mm -hmm. maybe he will, maybe he won't. I think he's already answered it. I think that's why he's sitting where he's sitting, you know? So Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as like burying those animals, was that did he try and get to your knowledge any extra value out of them for for selling any of the parts of the dead tigers or was it literally like we had to put down this tiger uh and then we just you know bury the entire thing i think it had a lot more to do because i've never known joe to to sell skeletons um to like right. random people like i like i said before he had a contract with a, a skeleton museum in the city um that would come and get the tigers that passed away on park or any animal for that matter because we had a lot of animals we had access to a lot of animals that no one else did you know right no one tigers and lions and all that all in one place so um, that's all I've known of the, the contract with the skeleton place. I've never known him to just sell it on the black market or anything like that, you know? Right. But I know a lot of why they were just buried in the back pasture. It had a lot more to do with everything with these exotic animals. Everything that's regulated by the USDA needs to be accounted for. Right. If they know that we have, I'm just throwing out enough, they know that we have 100 tigers and mm. then they come and do an inspection and we only have 80. They're going to wonder where those other 20 are. And if we don't have paperwork for them, we're going to be in trouble. You know, it's, right. that's fact of the matter. Um, so I think that had a lot to do with why they were buried in the back. And I, I know that has a lot to do with why it's an issue right now, because they were completely unaccounted for. And now the USDA is involved, the federal government's involved, the Fish and Wildlife's involved. It's going to be a, a case. And, and of course, they want to make an example because it's a big deal in this industry. That's the reason right. people pay all these fines or pay for these permits. And that's the reason why all these officers and inspectors go to every facility, you know, to make sure yeah. stuff like this doesn't. So it, it kind of was like a slap in the back of the head for them. And I'm sure they're going to make an example out of him. I, I'm sure of it. So you don't think it's over? Uh, it's definitely not. This is just the beginning of the iceberg, for sure. You know, this has changed the animal industry, especially the big cat, exotic animal industry, for good. For good. Yeah. For And that's good. I think it's yeah, good. Yeah, that is good. What about the alleged cub selling? Um, and as far as, like, when Joe did eventually get, I guess, kicked off the property by Jeff Lowe... Um, you know, we're shown that he's taking the very expensive cats and it seems like he's he's going to sell them or keep maybe a couple of them. How much of that did you see while you were there? Yeah. So um, that actually happened after I left. Um, 
I left way before Joe did, so I don't know exactly what happened or what was said between him and Jeff. Um, but I do know Joe, and I do know that if he had any opportunity to remove any of his animals, no matter the value, he was going to. Um, I also know why he took the ones he took, and though that's because those were his breeding prodigies. The Ligers, the Till Ligers, the, the Tigons, the Lil Ligers, Joe did all of that. He did every single bit of that. And that doesn't take, it's not just, you know, six months of, of you know, gestation. This was years and years, like 15 to 18 years of research and breeding and then, you know, rebreeding. Like this, this is what he did. That was his thing. And um, I, mm. I know why he wouldn't have left there. I don't blame right. him, honestly. Mm. Um, as far as what happened to them after that, though, I don't know because I was not in contact with him. Right. Since I left that park, the only, the next time I talked to him, he was already incarcerated. So I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, I really don't. Sure. What about the cub selling while you were there? Is that something that you experienced? Was there a lot of that going on? Did it not happen? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it, it happened all the time, and Joe would announce it over the radio, you know? Like, well, they, really? We got four cubs on cage, yeah, on a cage 47, and... I could sell these for 5000 a pop, you know? Like, that's Joe. Joe talked way too much all the time. Um, but, that's probably you know, why he's me, in jail. That's what I'm saying. I think the, the questions are already answered as far as where he sits. That's pretty much the answer, you know? But, no, I mean, he, yeah, he he definitely, man, we pumped so many cubs through this park. You, I can't even explain to you how many cubs were produced on this park and the cubs turned into adult tigers so if they weren't you know with other zoos or with other facilities by the time they're 16 weeks old four months old they belong to us now and they're just another big cat in another big cat cage you know what i mean um so yeah it was definitely a, a quality over quantity or quantity over quality thing um at, right. as far as the breeding selling of the cubs um and I think, you know, obviously we all knew it was illegal. I mean, we knew the protocols because we had to live these protocols because we had to, we were the ones who made sure the cages were to protocol, you know, stuff like that. So uh, I knew, I, I speak for myself, I knew it was illegal, but that's on Joe. That's on Joe's license. You know, I don't get involved in anything that doesn't matter with me or doesn't concern right. me. Um, but, you know, just that alone, it wouldn't have even got him jail time, you know? I think it's just the combination of all of it. Um, it just kind of caught up to him, bit him in the butt for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you wished that I asked you in this interview or anything else that you want to say uh, and, and kind of get out there? No, I mean, I think we had an excellent conversation, you know, and it kind of yeah. touched on everything, but you know, I, I, I know that a lot of people look for certain answers in certain interviews. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that for the most part, especially if they're searching for an interview that I do or a conversation that I have, um, they already have a, a particular answer or opinion in mind. My biggest thing is that I, I love being able to speak for myself, you know? Um, but if it is Joe's story or Jeff's story or Carol's story, I cannot. I, it's not my concern. I can't speak yeah. for that. And I wish I wish people would just understand that. You know, I'll tell my side, whether that makes your person or who you're rooting for look good, bad, or ugly, I'm going to tell the truth and, you know, it can be received 
however it is. I mean, I there's I have no control over that. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's been an issue where you know people you know kind of feel like I I want to say something bad about somebody and I never do and that's the thing you know I think they get frustrated because I don't um, man I have nothing bad to say about any of these people I worked with them for years I enjoyed my time I think they speak pretty well for themselves <laughs> so yeah I'll leave it at that absolutely I appreciate you giving your perspective and uh, I also agree I think from what I've seen out of uh, different interviews of, of different staff and things like that, people are looking for more, for people to sink their teeth into. Like, let's let's really go after this person or this person just because I don't like that person. But I think you said it best uh, a couple minutes ago. You said none of these people are saints. None of the, none of the big players are saints. And I think, to, to me, that was my impression watching it is there's a lot of wrong going on. But underneath of that, you have to realize that the people that are on the front lines, usually the people working for the big players, right, are actually there literally not for the money. It's not for anything other than I want to be here for these animals and I want to give them the best care I can possible and give them the best life possible. And I think that's really something that it seems like you've dedicated yourself to. And uh, I, I think that's fantastic. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, the mark of a good animal uh, animal owner is my my animal eats better than I do, and that's a fact. <laughs> that's a fact. Yeah. You know? There you go. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, and that is going to do it for our two part series of my interview with Saf from Tiger King. Guys, this was one of my favorite episodes I have done so far. Saf was fantastic to have on the show. He answered every single one of my deepest questions about Tiger King, the show, how it was filmed, Joe. I mean, just fantastic interview. I really hope that you enjoyed the episodes as much as I enjoyed having Saf on. I think also he's probably one of the most down-to-earth, optimistic, and positive people I have ever met or had the pleasure of speaking to. So thank you again to Saf. So when we do episodes like these, and sometimes we do have to do two parts or we have to cut a bunch of content, we have a full version available. And if you would like to have that full version of these two episodes put together, plus access to all of our other full-length interviews where we have not cut any content out, there's full episodes a bunch of stuff that we've had to take out of episodes to cut it down for time constraints. All of that is there at our Patreon, and we have some very reasonably priced tiers, which will give you access to all of that content. So if you want to check that out, that's at www.patreon.com forward slash tots podcast. We are also going to throw that in the show notes for you. Again, a big shout out to our sponsor for this episode which is Studio 15 Artisans and Juanita's Adventures. Those map prints are selling so fast, selling like hotcakes. You better get your hands on some before they're all gone. Again, thank you so much for listening. If you want access to our other episodes, you can find that at www.totspodcast.com or www.marketwithben.com forward slash tots. There, you are going to be able to listen to all of our episodes just like you can on your favorite listening platforms. I hope you guys really enjoy these. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I will see you Monday morning, bright and early, for my next Tater Tot.